The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. And now, the Blaze Radio Network presents 40 Acres and a Fool. Here's your host, Cam Edwards. Greetings from the near frontier. Thanks for tuning in to another edition, episode 120. Oh, wow. Of 40 Acres and a Fool here on the Blaze Radio Network. Cam Edwards and Miss E. Sorry, it's been a while. We're, I guess, I'm going to blame it on the summer. And uh, now that, you know, we're past the Labor Day weekend, we'll uh, we'll hopefully get back on a regular schedule. Well, technically, summer isn't over until, like, September the 21st to the 22nd, right? I know, yeah. Okay. But this is the end of, of, of yeah, summer season time. summer. Yeah. Right. You know, yes. not calendar summer. Nope. Most schools have already, most of the schools that we know have already gone in session. I know where I used to live, they don't go back into session until after Labor Day, so they'll start on Wednesday. Um, so it's it's back to school time all up and down all over the place, I suppose. Yeah. So hopefully you were enjoying uh, your Labor Day weekend or, or you did enjoy your Labor Day weekend. You'll be hearing this afterwards. We had a, uh, a good one. Uh, and it's been a busy couple of weeks. Everything's going pretty well in the garden. Uh, we've had some family stuff going on. But uh, <laughs> the, the garden's doing well. Yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, you had, what, eight pints of I- tomatoes? that you uh, This was sauce that you canned today, right? So today I'm made eight pints of just plain tomato sauce and it was just all the paste tomatoes that have been lying all over the house Mm -hmm. and then some of the um cherokee purple beefsteak and some of the other ones that we have out front like the there's uh i don't know all the pastes and the and the purple russians okay um anyway so it's mostly paste tomatoes and i started off it was a an 18 quart stock pot that was about two-thirds of the way filled with Tomatoes, because I'll ch- I'll cor- top off chop off the tops, uh-huh. cut them into like one inch chunks, put them in the pan, start it on low heat, and then as it starts to warm up, I just start smashing it with a potato masher, and then I keep adding more chopped up tomatoes, and then I cook it for a while so it gets everything like really really soft. I really want to cook it down so everything disintegrates, and then I'll stick a stick blender in it and whir the out of that mother <laughs> uh, so it's purees it all and because I use primarily paste type tomatoes there's hardly any seeds in the paste type tomatoes so it's not a bunch of seeds the skins have been really well cooked and then I'll cook it down even further to reduce the the water so it make a thicker sauce okay so and I make it plain because I like to use it for a lot of different things because I'll use it for you know, making lasagna, so you make it Italian seasoned. I'll right. make it for pla- making plain pizza. But you can gussy it up afterwards. Right. So it's better to make it plain now and then add the herbs and other spices as it becomes, you know, appropriate you, for your yeah, recipe. Right. And someone on Instagram, uh, I had said something. Somebody was canning. I said, yeah, I'm canning too. Because I, I canned Saturday, but I only got out of all of the 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 decent sized Roma plum tomatoes. So these are a smaller tomato, mm-hmm. and I can them whole. So it's a big process because you have to you have to s- s- 
skin them. Okay. Which is boil water, cut a little slit, put them in, put them in cold water, slide the skins off, and then you pack them into. Um, I use pint-sized jars. You put in some citric acid in a pint-sized jar. You put in a quarter teaspoon of citric acid and a half a teaspoon of kosher salt, and you just shove those tomatoes down in there. And you leave about a ha uh, half an inch of head space. And people who can know what this means. And if you don't know what it means, you need to research <laughs> canning anyway because you shouldn't be canning if you don't know how to can. That's true. You need to read. Because uh, it's a lot of really great books about it. Um, but you shouldn't just go blindly into canning. So I, even though I packed the pint jars full, full of tomatoes, by the time they were done, there was at least about an inch and a half of liquid on the bottom. But it's pure tomato water. And so whenever I do use that for a recipe, I'll drain that off into a glass and that'll be my Bloody Mary for the evening. Because <laughs> that makes some really great Bloody Marys. So, so Saturday it was three pints of that, but I also made five pints of sweet pickle relish. Mm -hmm. Not from our cucumbers, but I used our peppers for the green pepper substitution. I used orange peppers, so it's a really pretty colorful it sweet is. pepper relish. And then today I got eight pints of just tomato sauce. So three different things. Yeah, but, you know the possibilities of eight dinners and several years worth of relish. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. And we still have a lot of tomatoes that are on the vine. We grow the indeterminate tomatoes, so they just keep producing until there's a frost. Uh, and we have, you know, officially hit the point where it's like, okay, we have a surplus of tomatoes, which has been awesome. You know, given that it's been two years since we've been able to say that. Yes. Uh, speaking of surpluses. Okay, still don't really know what happened. We can we can theorize, and maybe this will be the uh, we'll open this up for uh, for for comments uh, and, and answers here. But the chickens are laying eggs again. Yes, and I think it's the cooler weather. You think that's it? Yeah, I think it, it was just, just too flipping hot. Flipping hot. It was hot and humid. It yeah, made it even more hot. Right. Um, but we went for like two months without any. Hardly any. And like, then we went probably like three weeks where we were getting three or four, and I think those were our older girls. Right. And the ones that we had purchased earlier this year, the red they were things. still, yeah, they still weren't producing anything. And then... Not for how many of them we had. Right. And then we did have a cold spell. And it got down to, I mean, we had highs in the 60s for a couple of days. It was weird in the end of August. Right. Uh, here. Right. And that's when they started kicking out more eggs. And all of a sudden, you got like 20 in two days. Yeah. And I was like, what? Oh, dear. Because I hadn't checked because it was raining and miserable. And, I, <laughs> and so I, I, I always, usually we go out and feed all the animals and check for eggs. Mm -hmm. But um, when they weren't laying, uh, kid, kid five, who feeds the goats, got lazy and stopped checking at all. So she never remembers to check for eggs now. So I'll make it a special trip down to check for eggs. And I'm glad I do it. Yeah. Because, yeah, we'll get tonight, I had to go through both doors um but all grand total we got seven yesterday we got five the day before we got like 11 so we have 12 laying hens and they are all a laying yeah and now uh, on a somewhat regular basis so and yesterday i was able to hard boil 18 eggs <laughs> make uh jalapeno bacon deviled eggs mm -hmm, and then good. i used about four or five of them in my um, Oop, we interrupt this podcast for uh, Missy e to take a phone call. We'll be right back. You won't notice the difference. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Rabbi Daniel Lappin on demand. What happened is that the welfare state 
began dismantling Judeo-Christian values in large parts of American society. They decided to replace, to replace the big G of God with the little G of government. Changed the culture of America's underclass. As a matter of fact, they created an American underclass. Rabbi Daniel Lappin, on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, welcome back. Sorry about that. It's been a uh, a weekend of kind of shitty phone calls, actually. I uh, got a phone call yesterday from my stepmother. Uh, It's always bad when you see, like, somebody's name on the phone, and then you answer the phone, and you say, hey, whoever, and it's not them. That's when you know that something bad has happened. That happened when my friend Mike McCarville passed away, and I saw the phone, and it was Mike McCarville, and it wasn't Mike McCarville. It was Mike's daughter. Uh, and yesterday was uh, it was my dad, but it wasn't my dad. It was my stepmother uh, letting me know that my dad is in the hospital and should be okay, knock on wood. But uh, I'll take any thoughts and prayers that you can give. He's going to be 91 here in a couple of weeks. So he's at the age where, you know, even simple routine things uh, don't necessarily become simple or routine. Uh, and then... Uh, Miss E got uh, another shitty phone call. Yeah, at least it was at least it was the person who it, you know it was on your phone. But um, a uh, I don't know how specific you want to get, but uh, somebody very close to you passed away. Your great aunt um, passed away. My chachi. Uh She was the one who taught me how to make siddik and um, pierogies and pasca. And this was where we would go for Easter's when I was little. Cause we were, um, they were Ukrainian Orthodox and it was, it was a really great Easter holiday. And we'd go and the Monsignor would bless everybody's Easter candy on Saturday night and our bright Easter breakfast. And we'd go to church in the morning. And I remember her buying me and my sister matching dresses. And <laughs> she used to sew. She was a seamstress as a job when she was younger. And this woman could put in and out a sleeve like nobody's business, man. She could zip a dress together in like 10 minutes. She was an amazing person. And she taught me a lot of cool sewing tricks. And it just, since she's the last one left. And so this is really hard, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to the funeral. I feel horrible. I, I've been meaning to write her for so long, but she ended up with pneumonia and congestive heart failure, and she was gone into the stages of dementia. She didn't know anybody anymore, and I'm kind of glad. I just got the call that she just got checked into hospice, like, just, what, yesterday or mm-hmm. the day before? Yesterday, and now we heard that she she passed away. So at least she wasn't home alone in the house, but that was the house that my great-grandparents built when they moved here from the Ukraine. Wow. I mean, yeah, I've heard a lot of stories. I never got a chance to meet your great-aunt, but I've heard a lot of stories and... She's going to be 90 this year. I, I mean, that's the thing. And she has had such an impact on you because you talk about you know, all Every of the Easter. tricks that she taught you. Every Easter, you're right. I mean, the Siddiq I've never, I'd never heard of Siddiq before I met you, and you're trying to explain it to me as we're getting ready for our first Easter, and I'm like, okay, so wait, what is this? It's like, and you're like, it's like a... Hard-boiled <laughs> scrambled eggs. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make any damn sense. How can no. you have hard-boiled scrambled eggs? And it's almost like, I would describe it as like an egg cheese. Well, that's what we call it. We call it an egg cheese, but when we try to describe how it's an egg cheese, 
It's hard-boiled scrambled it's eggs. It's hard-boiled scrambled eggs. It's just cooked really low and slow with milk, and I've put the recipe somewhere out But then you somewhere. chill it because it's served it cold. In, well, you put it in cheesecloth, and you press it so that it forms a cheese. Yeah. And then it's served cold usually with uh, uh, kibasi, and um, my grandfather and my great-uncle used to make this crazy horseradish beet horseradish <laughs> stuff. So the horseradish is so strong that they cut it with ground beets. So it was this bright magenta. Uh-huh. And so the m- bright magenta against the scramble egg color and the and the, the yellow pasca, because it's like a pasca is kind of like hala. It's like an egg bread. Yeah. Like brioche. Um, and then the, the kibasi. It was a very colorful breakfast all, every Easter morning. Right. And, you know, she's just one of those people and she lived in a part of the country that was still like... I don't know. It had like the old ways, you know, like the old folk ways from the from the old country. There were uh, neighborhoods that like there were all these people. There were the Italians, the Polish, the Ukrainians, the Irish. Everybody had their church. Everybody had their bars. Yeah, but they were all American were at the same American. time. Like, oh yeah, my great grandparents tried everything. They they cut the tops off their beds. They did weird things to become more <laughs> American. And when they moved here, I'm like, they ruined a beautiful brass bed to be American. Right. But whatever. So I mean, the, you know, they 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 kept their culture and you and, and passed it down. I mean, which is, you know, again, it's every Easter we're celebrating the way that you celebrated as a kid. Because in my house, we didn't really do anything special, well, minus the church. Minus that the, was like the three and a half hours right. every Easter morning of sit stand kneel aerobics. <laughs> Catholic aerobics, we call them. Uh, so, yeah, I'm sorry, honey, but... Uh, I have so many great memories of her, though, and so many pictures. And and she lived a really good, long, and fruitful life. She did. You know? She never actually had children of her own, but she was the best aunt to all of the children in our family. Yeah? Yeah. She was one of 13 herself. Wow. She was from a big Polish Catholic family. That's amazing. Yeah. And she made some of the craziest, yummiest things. Uh, one of the desserts that she made one when I guess it was when Jimmy Carter was president because it was the Jimmy Carter peanut butter pie. Uh-huh. And it was like, all of these were like Cool Whip based. <laughs> uh, and then she made this really yummy banana split cake. Oh, wow. Yeah. And her, I don't know why her pizza was so good because it wasn't conventional pizza. The crust was almost like a, a crackery uh, bread. It was huh. crunchy, and she just put tomatoes and just plain cheese and maybe a little bit of oregano and salt. There was nothing to them. Okay. But we always had hors d'oeuvres and pizza. Those little pizza squares <laughs> were one of the hors d'oeuvres that we would scarf down, and then we'd never be able to eat dinner. But, uh, but yeah, there's something about the way she cooked. She was just awesome. And she, she, I, I, I still remember standing at her stove getting directions on how to stir acidic because you have to watch it it's go it's low and slow and you have to keep your eye on it because you're watching and you're it's just milk and eggs and you're just watching it and at a certain point all of the egg has absorbed all of the color out of the milk and you really are left with what looks like curds and whey okay and we made it with this spoon that apparently belonged to my great grandmother that she taught my aunt pearl had it make this okay and so this spoon which is just a big silver kind of a serving spoon that you use probably for vegetables at the dining room table if you pass them around yeah has this significant dent on the one side <laughs> of the right-handed person stirring oh wow and if if we get to go and see the house I might try and steal the spoon. <laughs> I don't think uh, I don't think anybody would fight you for it. I don't think so. No. 
All right. Well, again, I'm really sorry, and uh, hopefully, sorry. This is this is kind of a uh, downer segment, but we'll uh, you know what? Later. We will, and it's good. You know what? Uh, again, sometimes life just sucks. Sometimes you get that bad phone call, but uh, but it was good to have a conversation about it because otherwise, I would have just sat here feeling miserable without yeah. being able to express how awesome my well. That's the thing. I'm I'm glad was. you get to talk about how cool your great aunt was because she was a cool lady I, I never got a chance to meet her but yep. I, I, I can see her in you uh, and so I know that she's cool oh yeah because you are thank you alright we're going to take another quick time out stick around we've got more 40 Acres and a Fool coming up next 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network and a Fool with Cam Edwards returns now on the Blaze Radio Network. So thanks for uh, sitting at the picnic table with us on this, for us, the uh, tail end of a Labor Day holiday weekend. We're uh, down by the garden. We've got the chickens wandering in their chicken tunnel. We had uh, friends over for a cookout, as is you know traditional for the, uh, for the end of summer. And uh, they were... I don't know if I told you this, but uh, one of our friends was so impressed by the chicken tunnel, by the tunnel system. Ah. He just, he thought it was, he kind of thought it was ridiculous, but cool at the same time. He's like, wow, that's crazy long, because it's like 80 feet. Yeah, the tunnel itself is 80 feet from right outside the chicken coop, (laughs) and the chicken coop is only 8 feet wide, or so... It's and they they have a yard that's only eight feet wide and right. maybe ten feet, so it's nothing but bare earth now. Yeah. But the eighty foot tunnel goes off of that down through the garden into a yard that is uh, eighty to ninety feet long and ten feet wide. Mm-hmm. So that many more square footage. Right. So they're not uh, free ranging, but uh, but, but they do have a lot of of space to to roam. Yeah, and they're getting grasses. Mm-hmm. And we were talking earlier, like in the winter, we might put up part of a fence and um, like maybe only like run some chicken wire off of half of it and let them only go halfway and then later on like sort of build a narrow tunnel and let them go to the other side so we can reseed some areas yeah and plant some edible greens and flowers and oats and whatever because they like they leave grass well, once the garden is dead I won't feel so bad about letting them roam at least until they start getting picked off uh, by coyotes well or- no then 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 what we do is on the, on the days that it's sunny and nice, then we only let them roam from like five o'clock. Yeah, so they only get like a o'clock. couple of hours. They only get a couple light. of hours, and they're they're not gonna be they can't wander too far. They, they, exactly, they don't go too far away when they have a very short amount of time because they're they're more inclined to as the sun starts setting, mm-hmm. they get closer to the coop anyway. But yeah, they, we, it, yeah, it's kind of silly. It's big, but. Have we lost a chicken since we've we had this not. system? We have not. Um, no, we have not. So <clears throat> nope. am I really glad I spent the time and energy? Yes, I am. Because it wasn't expensive. It was just those six-foot-long, uh, pound-in-the-ground metal posts mm-hmm. and chicken wire and zip ties. And then we just put two layers of chicken wire around the sides and put deer netting across. And seriously, the entire thing is held together with zip ties. Yeah, it's great. It works fine. Yeah, and it's a fantastic yard for them. It is, and the chicken tunnels are uh, the chicken tunnels are actually kind of fun to make. I mean, they yeah, you know, it wasn't hard. It's just uh, so we used the two by four fence 
wire stuff. So mm -hmm. it's that welded um, stuff you buy in a roll, and the squares are two inches by four inches, mm -hmm. and it was six feet long. And so we we folded eighteen inches was the, the was the bottom, and then that. So think of that, and we put it in a right ish angle, and then sorry, and then so we then curved the rest over to match that 18 inch bottom section so we we have a flat bottom but a rounded top mm -hmm. and we just cut off some bailing wire and every couple every couple of spaces i just twisted it all together and down and we made i made 10 and 15 foot sections because it made more sense to make smaller pieces because then if you needed to move them around right it was a lot more flexible yeah so yeah, yeah, I was I'm really happy with it. I, we need to probably make a section with some of the scrap we have lying around just mm -hmm. to sh do a vid. Maybe we can do a live video and show how people how to do it. We can. Uh, as a matter of fact, we should uh, take a moment to talk about the uh, new and always improving uh, Corny Goat Farm Facebook page. I'm trying. I've been posting a lot of recipes and sharing some fun things and fun recipes and really cool tools. Like recently, I shared a video of this interesting planting system. Mm -hmm. It's this paper cell tape. Yeah, it system. almost looks like a honeycomb. Yeah, you pull out a honeycomb system and you put it on a frame. You fill it up with dirt. It has a little thing you press down. It makes indentations to put seeds in. Mm -hmm. And once they start growing, you put them into this thing that looks like a. It has a. It looks. It's it's kind of crazy looking. What happens is is it the the paper. It's a plow thing. Pulls apart individual the seed pods, mm -hmm. and it's like a reverse plow, and it's sort of you 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 dig a little trench as you pull it behind you, and this seed yeah, pod stuff the, slides down and gets planted into the ground. Yeah, as the plow is creating the furrow, like that step one, and then step two is automatically behind the plow blade are the little, are the little paper boop, boop, seed pods right? right? Yeah, and or, they're or, little tiny too. Yeah. But they and they plant really close together. But this this video was I think the guy was planting lettuces. Yes. And uh, you said what? It saves him like every time he plants. It, you said it saves him like fifty three man hours or hours something. Hours of labor. That's crazy. Use this because instead of taking an hour a bed, it takes seven minutes a bed. Wow. And he plants lettuces in. I guess he's in an area where he plants lettuces and he can plant six crops. So if he can plant six crops and save 53 man hours for each crop he can plant, then that results in him saving money on labor and the product being less expensive to produce, too. Mm -hmm. So it's a savings overall. And it looks like something that would be really good for little farmers that have specialty crops that grow things for restaurants and stuff. Yeah. Not for, you know, because this is, you're manually, you're walking this thing. Right. So you're not planting rows upon rows. No, no, this isn't for, you know, hundreds of acres, but but it's, it's it would, I would say it's also more than what you would need for a backyard garden. Yes. You this know. would be for the small farmer who's growing specialty crops for restaurants and specialty markets, I think. Yeah. Like some of the places that we, you know, farmer's market buy from. Right. Oh, does this have you thinking, hmm, we should get one? No. Okay. No, no. <laughs> I don't need one. Um, the other thing is I look at it and I'm like, okay, so the cells are only so far apart and this can only really be used for plants that could be that far apart. Mm -hmm. So tomatoes have to be 12 to 18 inches apart from one another on either right. side. And some peppers have to be at least 12 inches. So 
what is this good for? This is probably good for microgreens and baby lettuces that can be planted really close together in yeah. the vine. Yeah. Maybe spinaches and stuff. But for our purposes, I just thought it was really cool to share. Right. right. So yeah. So uh, so so uh, Missy is doing more of that. Uh, we almost we were tempted to do a, a Facebook Live for the first couple of minutes of this podcast. If you would be interested in something like that, let us know because we we have that capability. But uh, you're kind of on the fence about it. I'm kind of on the fence about it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. And I was crying today. I know the, today would not have been a good day. No. You, you've got, you're coming off a cold, and then it's, you yeah, got, the, you got the crying. crying so, and, yeah, I don't look attractive. And well, it wouldn't. This, yes, you this, do. You always look. I got beautiful. this B. Arthur thing going. On if I'm not careful, and I'm like, I don't know, quit combing it out. Well, but see, okay, so we could do something where you don't have to be on camera. We could do a farm tour, and you could be behind me, and we could just hear you. Oh, okay. Or yeah. like, remember the old uh, show? What was it uh, Home Improvement? I always just wanted to be that. You uh, could be Wilson, Wilson character. So we could just give just you like, like you could just walk around with or, a book, yeah, or something that or you hold over your face. My basket. You have to be a basket. It could be a handkerchief. Then you'd be Antifa. <laughs> we don't want that. So. I don't want to look. I don't want to wear a hoodie and then the. No. <laughs> no. No. I have a really cool Harley Davidson thing that my dad bought me to cover up my bald head. Uh, it's a kerchief. I could just, you know, it's a, it's a flag. Well, there's that mermaid flag. wig that has a really long hair. You could just put that over your face. You wear it backwards. And <laughs> you could... A blue beard. <laughs> well, it just you know, fall over your. Or I could just yeah, I just comb face. Be like cousin it. Yeah, that would be very cousin ish I don't know if I'd like that either. <laughs> I think I'm going to be a merman for uh, Halloween this year. I think I'm going to use that uh, that wig. That would be awesome. Can you make me a seashell bra? Yes. <laughs> I, actually, I can. I can crochet one. Maybe and I'll be can... uh, maybe I'll be Mermaid Man. Wouldn't that be just Neptune? No, Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy. Oh yeah. Right. Oh, that would be that would be a really great costume because yep, we yeah. can make that costume. Okay, cool. All right. I don't want to be Barnacle Boy, though. <laughs> no, you don't have to Maybe be I can be Sandy. <laughs> <laughs> the squirrel. I'll wear her... Uh, I don't know if I'll wear her... That'd be a weird costume to make, because you'd be making a fuzzy squirrel costume and then making a bikini to wear on top of the fuzzy squirrel costume. Right. Because that's what she wears underneath her spacesuit. Yes. The other, uh, the other idea I had was that um, we could be uh, Archie Bunker and Edith. Oh, uh, with my hair. <laughs> and with... My non hair, <laughs> but you'd have to shave. Oh, that's true. I would. Archie was clean shaven. Okay, you could be Edith, and I could be Meathead, because Rob Reiner had a beard back in the day. No, during the show, he only had that big, gigantic, bushy mustache. Shoot! All right, well, forget that then. No, no, it's okay. It's, they're all good ideas, and you don't. It doesn't. We don't have to be all that authentic. That's true. Kid, uh, Kid Four was asking me if we had any brown pants for Halloween because he wanted to be some thing from some uh, video game and he mm. wants to be authentically cosplay. Oh yes, okay. And I said, well, if we don't, we can make them, and I can teach you how to sew. And then if you really want to get into it, then you'll know how to sew your own cosplay <laughs> stuff. So I'm gonna, I'm bound to determine. Well, I I, I taught, taught Kid, Kid One knows how to sew. Yes, and she knows how to knit. And I did that. Yes, you've passed on your aunt's uh, and, talents and, to at least a couple of the kids. And kid five, kid two is learning to cook more. So yeah, that's, you know, so that's a good thing. Absolutely. And he likes to draw. All right, we're going to yeah. step away for a, a moment or two us. here, Oops, and when sorry. we come back, we're going to get to uh, some of your thoughts on a uh, rambly, conversationally forty acres and a fool. Stick around. We'll be back right after this. People like that. Well, I hope so, because that's what they're getting this week. <laughs> 
40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Reform this with Zudi Jasser. My naysayers from both the, 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 the far left, the far right, whatever, who feel that Islam is the problem, feel that I'm lying. The recent study, I think, may shed some light on this. It says, U.S. Muslims are religiously observant, but they are open to multiple interpretations of Islam. Reform this on demand. Download episodes at theblaze.com slash radio. SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Welcome back to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. So, uh, we have several emails to get to. The email address, you just heard a random chicken go... No, it's that time of night. It's, oh, it's the... It's the rooster thing business. Oh. Show some respect, Mr. Crow. Yeah, he does. He just does his thing. He does. Chickens are awful. Roosters are awful. Chickens are... The hens are nice, but yeah, the uh, roosters are awful. The roosters got a rooster, man. Nice to each other sometimes. That's true. They can be kind of catty. Seg slicks are kind of mean. Yeah, mean girls. Right. They're kind of like the mean girl click. <laughs> so the uh, email address, as always, 40acrefool at gmail.com. Uh, little buggy all yeah. of a sudden. Yeah. Well, it just got in my face. Sorry. Uh, David writing in with a thank you. He says, Cam and Missy, I've enjoyed the podcast for about a year now. My family and I live on two and a half acres in Milford, Kansas. We've been here for about three years. We're starting to get our property where we want it to be. Most of our free space covered in trees, but we've been clearing a lot, making space for a garden next year. We hope to have a few raised beds and a few more each year as we go. Uh, this do it. Yeah. Yeah, just keep adding A little bit at a time, yep. right? Uh, this spring, he says, we dipped our toes into beekeeping. We have one hive as of now, but hope to expand to four hives over the next few years. Chickens are also in the future, but one thing at a time. Attached to a few shots of the woodworking shop we're working on. I see. That makes me like, <laughs> totally jelly because, yeah, that's the... That's what I want to do Oh, that's next a cool-looking shop. Look at that. That's, that's nice. That's like my dad's ginormous thing. Yeah, oh. yeah. My dad had one of those down in... Uh, uh, Westish Texas. That's beautiful. That's like twenty feet tall, nice and big. You got to be huge garage doors and get stuff out of there. That's fantastic. Uh, and thank you very much for your service, uh, David. Uh, David, retired staff sergeant. Uh, David, he says, being retired military, I'll tell you that a tourniquet. Uh, it's the first response when there's a major bleed. You can put one on. can be left for hours without causing major damage. You know, not to get too far afield here, but I was in, I think we were talking about this last time. Okay. Um, when I was at the NRA Carry Guard Expo in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, they had a uh, first aid trauma class, which I wanted to take, but I was busy working. Well, doing your job, yeah. Right, but there's a, uh, there's a school that NRA Outdoors is putting on in West Virginia uh, it's a two-day course, and it is like everything you could need to know about first aid. Uh, and they're in trying the to get in the field, yeah. So what, what the idea is, they're trying to get you know guides, uh, range safety officers to take this course. But it's not just gun specific. I would love. To take I would that love course. to take this too, right? And it's a, it's two days. Uh, they're offering it again in November, and then I think they're 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 going to be repeating this. So oh, okay. I know I was looking into it because I was like I would like to take that too, but I think it'd be good for for both of but us. If it's two days, we'd probably have to go two different times. We would have yeah, to go two different times. Turns. Yeah, uh, alphabetically by first name. What's that? 
Do we go alphabetically by first name? Guess- <laughs> we'll do rock, paper, scissors. Okay, there we go. Uh, <laughs> Rob. Also writing in uh, this evening, he says, uh, you have been silent, I assume, out of respect. The hurricane, he says, has been a game changer. I'm interested in your opinion. Frankly, I see Texas as a microcosm. Maybe I'm being a little bit optimistic, but I want to think Americans will pull together. I don't know what you've been saying. I've been silent, Rob. I've been doing, you know, three hours a day on Cam and Company. Took off for the weekend, and we've been covering the uh, the hurricane in Houston uh, every day. We, did, we, uh, we haven't done a podcast in forever. We, we haven't. Family around that wasn't out of respect. And that was. We've been <laughs> quiet because we've been busy trying to keep up with our family who are around there and make sure they didn't, you know. Yeah. Anything happen to them. Well, and, good, and so. among other things that have kept us from the podcast. So yeah. no, it was it was not out of you know avoiding political opinions. Listen, I think what we've seen in Houston has been awesome. Yeah, and I, you know, look, you can you can find the reports of looting. But they've been, I think, uh, extraordinarily rare. Uh, what you have on display, I think, instead is uh, it's it's who this country is, and it's who, frankly, um, a lot of the media don't think we are, and they spend you know all the time and energy trying to tell us what a crap country we are and uh, what crap people we are, and especially in places like like Texas, right, and Louisiana. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, you know, we are a, a country with far more good people than bad. Uh, and it's sad that it sometimes takes a a tragedy of, of the, the proportions and the scale that we're seeing play out across the Gulf Coast in order to remind some of the more oblivious among us of this fact. But, uh, but I think even the media is starting to get it. So I am cautiously optimistic as well, Rob, but I appreciate you writing in. Um, Brian with a, uh, a thought on the eclipse. He says, I, I realize I'm a little late with the email, but I'm just catching up on old NRA <laughs> news episodes. It's okay. He said, I just listened to you and Jazz Shaw discussing his drive to the eclipse and your was it worth the drive discussions with Cameron. So Jazz Shaw from hotair.com was yeah. on the show talking about this and he drove from upstate New York near Rochester to some place in like along. southern Ohio along the path of totality. Okay. And then turned around and drove back. <laughs> I would have done that. Yeah. That's how I do things. That's funny. So it was like a nine hour drive, about an hour and a half of watching the eclipse, and then another nine hour drive. Yep. Um, so Brian says, My wife and I did the drive. We drove from our home near Los Angeles through Las Vegas, through Salt Lake City, to a lovely little town called Reary, Idaho. It's a 14-hour drive, plus time to stop for gas and whatnot. Mm -hmm. The plan was to do the drive out in two days and the drive back in one long day to save vacation days at work. As it turns out, the homebound traffic was so bad that the three-hour drive to Salt Lake City took 10 hours, and we had to admit defeat. Three-hour drive to Salt Lake City takes 10 hours. Oh, my Lord. Right. See, here's here's the thing. Brian, and you realized this, I'm sure, at some point during the 10 hours that you were digging to get from uh, uh, Reary, Idaho, to Salt Lake City. The traffic on the way to something, to an event, is never going to be as bad as the traffic leaving the event because the traffic going to the event is all staggered, right? Like you guys decided you take two days and you get there maybe the day of. And other people decide, oh, you know what, we'll get there a couple of days early and beat the rush, right? Yeah. And we'll, But most people are leaving at the exact same time. Okay, the eclipse is over. Let's all get in our car and go. Yep. Right? So what you, not that, you know, you're going to see another total eclipse here. But if you do decide to do something like that, if we all, right? Go make that long drive the day of, and then 
stick around a couple of days, let people clear out, and then go home. I yeah. think that's the way to do it. Find a place along the line of totality that might be, you know, <laughs> uh, worth going and checking out the area. Yeah, well, so here, and and so as it turns out, that's kind of what place. happened. Uh, although it was in Idaho that they were checking out. It was Salt Lake City. Brian says, we slept in a truck stop parking lot the night of the eclipse. Dinner was beef jerky and a package of chocolate chip cookies. Uh, my wife and I are both engineers, and we noted that driving 2,100 minutes for a two-minute totality is an overhead cost of about 99.915%. <laughs> However, yes. he said, hey. on the way, we also saw some beautiful country. We spent a night at the Great Salt Lake. We had some time at the nicest gun range I've ever seen in my life, TNT Range in Salt Lake City. Uh, and we met some wonderful people. So there you go. And he said, we also saw something that almost completely defies description. Even photography doesn't properly capture what I saw that day. I can do the math. I understand the rules and equations of Newtonian gravity, but none of that matters when you look up in the sky and you see the sun replaced by a black disc surrounded in fire. Yeah. You know, so it's funny that you mentioned that, Brian, because I was watching, I, I'm a sucker for news bloopers, okay, working in the news business. I am a sucker for news bloopers, so I watch YouTube news bloopers, and there was... <laughs> it's your dirty little secret, yeah, It's my it? dirty little secret, and there was a, uh, there was a, 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 uh, a YouTube video just of Eclipse stuff. Oh, dear. And one reporter... In Oregon, where the eclipse first, I think it was Madras, Oregon. So that was like the first place where you could see the totality, right? In the United States, continental United, continent United, United States. So they cut back to her as the eclipse is over and it's coming back. And she is, man, she's crying. She's like, I can't explain why I'm so affected by this, but I, I really am. And she's just huh. crying. And there was another guy, a reporter like in Ohio, who's an older guy. No, he was a, he was in Oregon too, but he was a he was an older guy, a different different uh, TV station, probably you know early sixties, uh, and he's doing his live shot and he's talking about this is before it happens and he starts to cry thinking about what's coming. Uh, I know. <laughs> well, the the They've the been before, happening for so long. The beforehand, I was kind of like really, but the afterward, I was like you know like I I get it. There is something that is so. Look, everything we see now is CGI. Everything cool that we see is is computer generated. Oh yeah, right. So it's cool to see like a total eclipse of the sun. This was this was I think probably, and it's easy for us because you know at night sometimes we'll walk outside, and when the moon isn't up, you can see the Milky Way from our house. Oh yeah, totally. And I still go wow when I see that. I mean, yeah. there are moments when we walk outside and it's early June, and all of a sudden you look out in the pasture and there are a million fireflies. All you know, or winking at bugs. each other, whatever you want to call them. Um, Terrifying there, fire <laughs> bugs of death, apparently, to somebody we know. There are those moments where you are just reminded that you are a tiny, insignificant part of something much, much greater than yourself. And I think that the eclipse was like that for some people. It was just, it was something that is primal and you would look at that you know glowing black disc in the sky and you can imagine what it would have been like 5,000 years ago to be you know an ancient Greek and seeing this and not know how to explain it but you know you know that you're watching a phenomena that uh, that, that that doesn't happen all that often uh, and no and then like we said if you missed it we have until 2024 but it's gonna go on a so this one went from like Oregon to Florida mm -hmm. this is gonna go from like Texas to Maine. Yeah. 
so yeah, still not uh, through Virginia. Anyway, uh, Brian said it occurred to me on the drive home how rare it is today that we can have an experience that cannot be repeated, replicated, or duplicated. Even the magic of a first kiss or the birth of a child is not completely lost after the event because we generally continue to kiss each other and raise our children. Further, how rare is it today that we have an experience completely out of our control? As engineers, my wife and I make our living on the idea that we can measure, we can optimize. We and our coworkers and companies seek to control basically anything of importance. Add to that the number of things that are simply a matter of money or effort, whether it's traveling around the world, rescuing flood victims, building a life for one's family out of poverty, or curing a patient of cancer. There are very few things that are truly impossible in the face of sufficient time, effort, and money. Yes. An eclipse, however, cares not a whit for our effort, our desire, or our intellect. There's nothing I can do, no effort I can expend, no money I can trade, no calculation I can perform that will let me see another total eclipse until the orbit of the planets grant me another opportunity of their own will, and even then the clouds get a veto. Yep. Like many of these days, my wife and I are not religious. For those of us who tend to see the universe not as a divine mystery, but as a series of practical problems, I think a good part of the eclipse's draw is a chance to have a tangible, inarguable encounter with forces larger than ourselves. In any case, he says it was absolutely worth it, and I will still be there in 2024 if I am at all able. That's cool. It's kind of like how we are with the uh, being able to see the, is it the Pleiades? The uh, Pleiades? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's always overcast. Always. Yeah. I think Every we've had... bleeping time. We've had one year, I think, when we uh, ended up putting an air mattress in the back of your pickup truck. Yeah. And we drove up halfway up the driveway. Yep. And we killed the lights. And we watched the shooting stars, and the kids did it for about 30 minutes before they got bored and started punching one another, or, you know, nudging one another in the back of the uh, And then there was one night that I went out in in a hammock with a quilt, but I think that was in November. Yeah, I think that was... And it was clear, and I was like, I am bound to determine. I keep missing it because it's always overcast. It's kind of like going to the, uh, the arts festival in Oklahoma City. It was the beginning. It was always scheduled in April, which is the beginning of tornado, tornado season. season. Yeah, right. So it almost always rained. Mm-hmm. At least most of the days. Yeah. Speaking I don't of Oklahoma, think that's changed much. I don't. <laughs> Our uh, last email is from Sean in uh, Tahlequah uh, from Pecan Grove Farm and Gardens. He says uh, he has sent in to say handful of their lemon peppers. Mm. Thank you for that very cool. much, Sean. Uh, Sean says I sent you some yellow ones that are ripe, some green, and a few that are transitioning from green to yellow. Uh, picked them fresh this morning. Once the dew dried, and immediately vacuum sealed them with an oxygen absorber to keep them as fresh as possible. He says, "Remember, awesome. these are hot. Three hundred twenty-five to five hundred thousand on the Scoville scale. Habanero is typically two hundred to three hundred thousand. Jalapeno is typically two to five thousand. Uh, he said the lemon peppers, from what I've been told." My wife loves them. I don't like super spicy food, Sean says. Yeah, he, uh, he said that. It has a very distinct citrus flavor, like a cross between a lemon and an orange. It's sour yet sweet. Oh, I'm so excited to put this. So I'm going to seed save? <gasps> yes, he says save the seeds. They're very prolific producers. You should easily get five pounds of peppers over the season per plant. Ooh. They're indeterminate, meaning they keep producing as long as the conditions are good. Sean says we started harvesting these about a month ago. We still have new flowers appearing. We have probably already harvested 100 peppers from the four plants that we have. Well, Sean, thank you for that. We've got some hot sauce coming your way. Oh, yeah, I know he. And oh, oh, but, but Freckles Sean Green doesn't. Death. He doesn't really. Yeah, like, he doesn't like the spicy stuff. So that'll be for his wife. So the last hot sauce, he was like, "Woo hoo!" This Sean, uh, don't, yeah. don't try it. Maybe we can try send, it in little tiny bits. Maybe we can send Sean some chocolate chip cookies or something. Or we can just send another bottle of last year's sauce. We have one. We can send him a collection. That's true. Uh, we'll send you something, Sean. I know your wife likes the spicy stuff. I'll lobby for something sweet for you, buddy. Okay. I do have a 
an idea. We'll, okay. we'll go with that. <laughs> All right, and thank you again for uh, all of the emails, email addresses, 40acrefool at gmail.com. Looking forward to talking to you again very soon. Thanks for uh, being with us and letting us uh, uh, vent about some of the crappy stuff and the wonderful life of uh, Missy's great aunt. And uh, we thank you again for being a part of this podcast and being a part of our lives so you can find us on facebook at corny goat farm you can find me on twitter at cam edwards you can listen to cam and company weekdays two to five eastern on nra tv uh, midnight eastern nine pacific on sirius x and patriot 125 and on demand all the time at itunes iHeartRadio. Uh, you can watch us on Amazon Fire and Roku as well. There's all kinds of ways wow. to check us out. And then there's um, Corny Goat Farm at, on Instagram. At Corny Goat Farm on Instagram, yes. I've not been doing much of the Instagram stuff, but you can find me there at Cam Edwards as well. So uh, until we talk again, which hopefully will be in about a week or so, <laughs> we're going to try to keep it back to a week. Yeah. But uh, I say that, and then we haven't been doing it, so I don't want to promise anything, but we're going to try our best. Yes. Sure. Until we talk again, uh, live a little, learn a lot, Be safe, have fun, and we will talk to you soon with more 40 Acres and a Fool here from the Blaze Radio Network. This is 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network.